Good morning, Sun Valley Church. I'm Rick Whitmer. I'm your not normal host of Voice of the Valley. And I have with me across the table, Pastor John Schubert. Not normal, Rick. Not because you're not normal, because this isn't usually your role. Jury's right? out, but yeah, I think yeah. your sense is what I meant. Yeah. Good. And <laughs> well, in case there are some others in our church who would wonder what you meant. Well, there are some who aren't wondering. <laughs> so. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, we have a, we give Jeremy uh, one day off a year, and he decided to take it today. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Well, he deserves it. I mean, he deserves one day off a year. He's... He's like Santa Claus. He works hard one he, day a year. Yep. He should take a day off a year. Yeah. It's like the pastor. He gets one day off <laughs> a week because he works hard one day a week. So... <laughs> Yeah, and I know you've had people say stuff like that, haven't you? I have. In the unbel- what do you do the rest of the week? Unbelievers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. yeah I've had that before, too. But yeah. yeah, so today we're discussing um, angels and demons, which is... Yeah, and those who think like that, we put in the demon category. You know, yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought we were discussing Dan's, Dan Brown's book, Angels and Demons. Oh, okay. Well, have, you, have you read that? No. Yeah, I read it once, but... Not good? Um, I mean, it was fine. It was yeah. definitely not as bad as Da Vinci Code. Um, <laughs> okay. Ta- if you want to save yourself a read. So wait a minute. The Da Vinci Code wasn't a theology book? Well, depends on who's reading it. Okay. For, many people did take it as a theology book. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I didn't read that book or watch the movie. Yeah. Um, but Angels and Demons is more of a thriller, um, kind of a set in the Vatican and... That's yeah. kind of fun. But yeah, we're definitely not talking about those angels and demons. Okay. We're talking about the spiritual ones. Um, and I'm going to just start off by reading our, the short section of our statement of faith on uh, what we call in theology, angelology. And so this is, this is what our statement of faith says. We teach that angels are created beings and are therefore not to be worshipped. Although they are a higher order of creation than man, they are created to serve God and to worship him. We teach that Satan is a created angel and the author of sin. He incurred the judgment of God by rebelling against his creator, by taking numerous angels with him in his fall, and by introducing sin into the human race by his temptation of Eve. We teach that Satan is the open and declared enemy of God and man, the prince of this world who has been defeated through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that he shall be eternally punished in the lake of fire. So I guess a good place to start would be simply to discuss, you know, what is an angel? You know, yeah. so what are angels and what does it mean that they're of a higher order of creation than man? Well, um, yeah, those, that's a good, that is a good place to start. Um, so God created two um, personal beings, two uh, different kind of personal beings. One would, was the human race and the others were angels. And so we have two distinct moral, uh, intelligent beings that God created. And angels um, are of the spiritual nature, primarily, and humans are of the physical nature, primarily. Of course, angels can um, present themselves, I think, uh, at God's will uh, in physical form, and uh, humans have spiritual a significant spiritual side to their existence. So both have physical and spiritual sides. Yeah. Um, but the angel is is exists in the spiritual realm, invisible to the human eye for the most part. Right. But you know, as we see in scripture, they show up visibly at times. Yeah. Um, and the the word angel really 
is um, in the original languages the word messenger. Yeah. So that's kind of what they are, what they do. They they are God's messengers to humanity, to creation, and they accomplish um, the work of God. They're, yeah. they're, they're in his employ. Yeah, and, that, and that's an interesting point that the word messenger is what angel literally means. And so we see, like in Revelation, the word, and throughout other places in Scripture, sometimes the word um, is used to refer to a human, to a human messenger. Mm-hmm. Like but, apostle. Right. You know, that's another word that has come from that term, yeah. messenger. Yeah. But many times, if not most, it's referring to these spiritual beings, these yeah. created spiritual beings. Right. Yeah. You know, in, in thinking about creation, you know, sometimes the question comes up, well, when, when were angels created? At what point? Because we don't see them mentioned in Genesis 1, in the six days of creation. And yet we know that Genesis 1 encompasses the entire cosmos, seen right. and unseen. Yeah. And, you know, in Job 38 and verse 7, um, the Lord is talking about creation. And I'll begin in verse 6. He says, on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? I'm talking about the earth. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And that term, sons of God, in the context of Job, um, explicitly refers to angels. And so we see that they were probably, you know, the evidence suggests that they were created first before anything. And right. that they were there rejoicing over God's creation right. as, as the Father created through the Son. Yeah, and if you think about the, the fall of a third of the angelic host... Um, and the existence of Satan to do what he did in the garden uh, to Adam and Eve, they would have to have been prior. Yeah. Right? Right. So they, they, they were around uh, making their schemes and plans to, to disrupt the plan of salvation that God had determined. Yeah. Uh, as Adam and Eve were just coming into consciousness. So... I, I, I agree with you. I think they were right up front. Yeah. And so, we, so we've got supernatural um, spiritual beings who are created. Mm-hmm. They're not omnipresent like God. That's true. Um, they're, they're not all-powerful like God. They're not, you know, Satan as a fallen angel is not God's equal but opposite force. Um, That's an important point. Yeah. Because a lot of times people misunderstand that the... the whatever that yin-yang or whatever that thing is. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, that's not what's going on in the spiritual world with right. God on one side and and evil Satan on the other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we see... But them, they weren't created evil. They were not created evil. Right? Yeah, that's we'll another get, important point. We'll get into that in a second for yeah. sure. Yeah, and go ahead. We see them, you know, they have all the properties of personality um, mm-hmm. and intellect, uh, emotions, a will... Obviously, they have a will because a third of the angels willfully rebelled against God under mm-hmm. Satan's leadership. Um, we see him rejoicing over sinners who repent. You know, so we see the angels have emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just listened to Martin Lloyd Jones' uh, podcast the other day. Um, he the podcast was of him teaching on angels, and he he suggested that angels have a spiritual body of some kind because they're not they don't encompass all of space. They're they're local. You can actually see their form in some sense. And he, there's, we don't have much detail on that, but that's, that was an interesting point, I thought. Yeah. But. Yeah. One thing, too, that I thought was interesting in, in, in my short preparation for this podcast was that angels, as well as mankind, were kind of in a probationary period at the beginning of their creation. Yeah. Um, and then, 
for mankind, when man sinned, they fell, just like the third of the angels fell, but mankind are redeemable, whereas angel kind are not redeemable. Once they made their choice, they were forever placed in that fallen group. We fell with Adam, and even though Adam and Eve made their choices, they remain redeemable. And uh, Eric Sauer uh, says it's because their sin was something that was was presented to them as an option. Mm. Satan and his angels' sin was not. They created it. They, okay. they established the evil choice themselves. So that's so this is Sauer. Sauer is saying that's why they're not redeemable. But on the other side, that's why we are redeemable. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because that question came up. Um, we, I was teaching on angels and demons in student ministries a couple months ago uh, as they were going through their section on doctrine. And the question came up, you know, uh, is it possible for angels to, uh, for the holy angels now to sin and rebel again? Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you think about that? I don't think so. I think I agree with Sproul in his concise theology where he says there was a probationary period which now is done, which, okay. is, which is over. Yeah. And so I don't think there's another possibility of a revolt. Right. Like I don't think there's a possibility of a further fall of, of mankind in terms of once, once we get onto the other side of life and we get into the, the second life or the, the eternal side of, of our existence, I don't think it's possible in that setting for us to fall either. Right. So the decision has been made. Yeah. And, and I, I think it might be in Titus, I don't remember exactly where, but they're referred to as the elect angels. Yeah. You know, and so in yeah, that sense, yeah. you know, they are chosen by God just as much as um, redeemed sinners are chosen by God. Mm. And they're chosen, what, to be holy. Yeah. And they will not sin. Yeah. In fact, so, they're called holy angels. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. Um, so what are some of the things that we see these holy angels doing throughout Scripture? You know, we're not going to be exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination, but just some of the highlights. What do we see them doing? Well, uh, the the highlights are, of course, the announcements of God's special purposes in, in the plan of salvation, right? And that would make sense that they're term messengers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, an angel shows up and announces to the shepherds, you know, that the Savior's been born. Prior to that, an angel announced to uh, Mary that, you know, this, the Holy Spirit of God would come upon her and she would be the mother of the Son of God. Yeah. Prior to that, her aunt Elizabeth heard similar announcements about her son to be John the Baptist who would make a way in the wilderness for the Messiah. So there's throughout throughout um, uh, the the history of salvation we see at critical points angels showing up. Um, and it, it happened uh, and, and and demon activity. Yes. that shows up at certain points in the history of salvation. So you have you have at for example um, the Exodus, angel activity, um, in the, uh, and then, and then 
it kind of dies down. And you're talking about the giving of the law to Moses? Yes. Yeah, through, you have mediated angel, through angels. It, yeah, mm-hmm. right, exactly. So you, you have angel activity at pivotal points in the history of salvation. And and not not coincidentally, you have an uptick in demon activity right. during those same periods. And, and those seem to be the same periods that coincide with the miracle periods. Yes. Like Elijah and Elisha. Exactly. You know, Lord, the, you know, the armies of heaven, you know, you, know, you some, see the angel armies. Exactly. Some people base their, their theology of spiritual warfare on the Gospels, okay. and that's, that's unfortunate. Right. Because what, ha- what was happening in the gospel was a record of the son of God's ministry. Yes. <laughs> and, and which, which <laughs> Satan wanted to defeat. Right. And so he, he put in extra effort, sent in extra legions of, of evil spirits to try to counter the plan of salvation, whose primary focus is Jesus Christ. And so during the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, there was an, a significant uptick in evil activity. Yeah. It is not that way today. Is there evil activity today by demons? Certainly, but not nearly the level that we see in the gospels. Right. So we're not going to be walking around throwing out demons as Jesus did yeah. or, or the apostles for that matter, after Jesus ascended. We don't see any, any call to do that in the epistles. No. And so when we take, I think what you're getting at is that if we, if we take the gospels and acts as normative, rather than reportive, right? Uh, then we end up in some murky waters as far as our daily Christian walk, because right. that's not the way that God intended it to be. And I think, I think what we end up doing, <laughs> um, unfortunately, is giving the, the demons, giving Satan more credit than they're due yes. for our struggles with spiritual matters. You know, and, and you know, you've heard it said that some people see a demon behind every bush. Right. That's because of this type of view of the Gospels. Sure. They, they think that this is normative in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't normative. So that's yeah. important to keep in mind. You know, we kind of get into that when we say, and, and most of the time if we say this, we mean well by it, and we don't, we're not committing theological error in our intention. But, you know, you hear it all the time. Hey, we need to go live the Gospel, right? Well, no, Jesus came and lived the Gospel. We live in light of it. Its right. repercussions ripple throughout our lives. So we could, we should say, to be more accurate, we we're trying to live out the implications of the gospel. Right. Philippians two: work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. That's what we're saying, and we ought to say it that way. Those gospels that we read yeah. report what God did through Christ for our salvation, and it changes everything right. that comes after. Right. And there are implications. Right. That's what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. And that's what we're saying when we say. By analogy, just live out with, the gospel. Yeah, and by analogy, as we read about these miracles and demons and the demon possession and the things that Christ did, yes, whatever Jesus meant by "you shall do greater things than these," he did not mean mimic exactly what's going on at this moment in right. redemptive history. Right. The greatest it, thing that Jesus ever did was die for sinners. Yeah. <laughs> let us let us not think for a moment that we will do greater things. No. Than that. No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that is really important to keep perspective on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know, there's two angels uh, who are named specifically in Scripture, Michael and Gabriel. Michael's card- called an archangel, um, and, and Gabriel, you know, goes to Mary. Gabriel goes to... Uh, um, 
I come from the presence of the Most High. Yes. They say. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. And Gabriel brought a message to Daniel. Yep. You know, and, yep. and so Michael's an archangel. In the Garden of Eden, there's a cherub that right. is, they're guarding it. Mm-hmm. We see um, cherubim. Uh, pictured in dramatic language in Ezekiel 1, and they're identified as cherubim Mm -hmm. in Ezekiel 10. Um, And then we have seraphim in Isaiah 6, and these creatures in Revelation 4, which kind of, if we're going to put that together, there's a different, not all angels are created equal in the sense of their role, function, and identity. Right. And and I think that's pretty, pretty cool. It is. And, and I think, I think it's important to say that what we know about angels, um, demons, the spirit world, really, is pretty sparse. It is. But we do know what Scripture reveals. And it's not a lot concerning that side of the, the creation. Yes. Um, but there, is, there, there are different names. There are different roles. Um, they, they're even described physically different in Ezekiel 1. Right. You know, these these weird beings that he refers to as angels or things that look like dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot, you know, a a chariot with a wheel within a wheel with eyes on. It's like, what in the world? <laughs> I mean, Ezekiel, come on. But uh, this is yeah. a beast for a flannel graph artist to try to put on. <laughs> well, that was one of our assignments in, in one of my Bible classes. Was it really? We were supposed to read Ezekiel 1 and draw a picture of it. Wow. Without talking to anybody just doing it ourselves and then bringing it and showing it to the class. Okay. And there was like, I think, 15 or 20 students in the class, and there was 20 completely different drawings. Wow. Bible college art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't art class either. Um, so, but uh, yeah. So my favorite was uh, in our class on Song of Solomon, the, the professor brought in a depiction of the, the beautiful woman from Song of Solomon literally rendered. Her hair is a flock of goats, <laughs> two, two yeah. twin fawns of a gazelle, and, yeah, and all right. that. Yeah, we need to stop somewhere there. Yeah, but uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the description of the angels in scripture uh, is fascinating. You know, I'm certain there's been some books written on it. I haven't read them, and frankly, I've never been all that intrigued by. Uh, Angelology, sure. Just because it, it, it is so obscure in scripture, right. um, but it is interesting when you're when you're talking about spiritual beings that have, you know, the head of a lion on one side, on the other eagle, the other side man. It's like, what are we talking about here? And and these these creatures are in the presence of God, acknowledging His holiness, uh, His greatness, His power, His majesty, um, repeating day and night, over and over, the same words. Um, it, it, it actually helps you understand a little bit more about the nature of God than the nature of angels, it seems. Right. And I think what we can do is, is basically boil down two main things that, that we should be associating with the holy angels. Is one, they are created for worship. Not to be worshipped, as our statement of faith says, and that Worshippers. the angel says in Revelation. So they're they're created for worship. So we should associate them with that. And then also Hebrews one says these are they are ministering spirits sent out from God for our benefit. Mm-hmm. And so they're explicitly our benefit being Christians, Christians only, right? Yeah. yeah, they they are for the elect. Yes, and that's that is a massive encouragement. And so how how would you say uh, an angel can be an encouragement to a believer? Well, um, number one, 
Je- you know, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we know we have the presence of God with us. Right. And we spirit. also know mm-hmm. that, that, these a- that angels are sent out by God for the sake of the elect. Now, we don't see them, right? But we can take comfort in the fact that God is, he's sparing no force or expense in order to keep us. My mom, I heard my mom say more than once, you know, John, your guardian angel was on duty today. Um, and, you know, it's like she was obviously referring to I had gotten into some trouble or yeah. fell out of a tree or whatever I was doing. God was taking care of me by way of his angel assigned to me. And, you know, whether this is true or not, do we each have a guardian angel? Um, John's guardian angel is this guy, this, this, this angel, you know, like on the other side, we have Wormwood yeah. and, and those guys right, right. In, in screw tape letters. What do we got? What do we got on this side that, that counterbalances that? Right. And that's what Hebrews is talking about. Hebrew one fourteen. those ministering angels that minister to us, to protect us, to, to encourage us, whatever, to, uh, and I think they're involved in physical protection of us. Yeah. You know, whatever ministering means, it most likely includes that. I think, you know, in in Pilgrim's Progress, um, Bunyan talks about being ushered into the celestial city by your angel or by the angels. Right. And so at the, the, the process of death, you know, is that a special time in the eyes of God concerning his people precious in the eyes of God is the death of his saints we read and and if God is going to use his angels created to be messengers of God primarily for his people what better time would it be than that when you're facing death you're in dark times in fearful times than to have an angel of God come and minister to your soul at that moment and I think that's happening you know, who knows? I, yeah. We'll find out, of course. But. Yeah. Well, we know that it happened in Jesus's greatest hours of trial. Um, the angels mm-hmm. came and ministered to him in the wilderness, mm-hmm. and he and he got through that wilderness uh, temptation as the fully human yes. son of God. Right. And so he wasn't relying on something not accessible to us in order to get through those temptations. Right. He did it as the God. Otherwise, it wouldn't like have been ours. temptation. Yeah. And right. you know, and in, in, in the garden. Of right. Gethsemane, as he's praying, the angels minister to him. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have my memory serving me correctly, um, and then, yeah, I think those are, those are some great encouragements. I mean, I think okay, Michael coming, um, Daniel prays, you know, and then Michael comes and says, "Listen, the Lord sent me out the moment you prayed. Uh, I got delayed. Um, yeah, I, was, I got in a fight. I was fighting with the Prince of Persia." <laughs> He came out of nowhere. Um, it was a scuffle, but I'm here, you know. Yeah. And so those I are didn't these, lose. Those are these spiritual glimpses of what God is doing for His people, right? And what Satan is trying to do, right? He's trying to, and that's a good transition into to talking about demonology. Yeah. Um, you know, it says in our statement of faith that uh, Satan is the author of sin, and this actually came up as a significant point from um, some questions in the basics class that we just taught mm-hmm. recently. Um, what, it, what does that mean that Satan is the author of sin if God is sovereign over everything? Well, we, here's, this, is, this is not an easy conversation to have. Right. Um, because we're told that God cannot sin. Um, we, we're told that he, he cannot create evil. So we know that he can't be the author of sin, can't be the author of evil. In the book of James alone, we, we learn that. 
that God isn't the author of sin. He's not the author of evil. He can't do wrong. And he's not going to tempt you to sin. And he's yeah, because he yeah. definitely doesn't want you to. No, right. <laughs> and yet he he uses sin and temptation for the benefit of his glory and the good of his people. I'm going to talk a little bit about this Sunday when I'm talking about Romans 8:28. Yeah. All things work together for good. Okay. And oh, you're going to that passage this week. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that that's part of that. So yeah, I, I think that that uh, it's a it's a very interesting conversation to have. I think a lot of people really struggle with the origin of evil if God is sovereign and it's a legitimate concern. And some things God in his wisdom has said, I'm not giving you the details on that. Right. But we do know what he has revealed. We do. Right. Which is that God's not the author of evil. <laughs> right. And yet God is sovereign over it. Yeah. It wasn't outside of his plan and his purpose. And this gets back to what we were discussing months ago on this podcast. How does the free will of man, and in this case, how is the free will of angels, um, intersect with the sovereignty of God? Well, one one helpful passage that is so obvious uh, to give us a bit of understanding, maybe not clarity, but understanding a little bit of cl- a little bit of understanding, is the crucifixion and death of Jesus. So, was that evil? Yeah. Was it evil to kill the Son of God? Yes. To murder Jesus, it was evil. I think probably the evilest evil that's ever happened. Yeah. And yet, God said that what happened to Jesus was part of his preordained plan to accomplish his purpose of salvation. Acts 4 and Acts 2. It It was the will of the Lord to crush him. Yes, it was was according to the plan of God, it says in chapter 2, that this happened. And yet, he's not responsible for evil. Exactly, yeah. Put put that together. You know, it's like... It takes more more brains than I've got. Yeah, or that any human has. Yeah, yeah we than all of us have. Well, here's here's together. a case study that came to my mind, because um, we're talking about satanic evil right. and, and how that works in God's plan. So for second, first and second Samuel are written um, by a different author, uh, supposedly, than first and second Chronicles. First and second Chronicles is written after the return of Judah from exile in order to help them see what, what got them there, and so that they cannot repeat that. But a lot of the same history is repeated in First, Second Samuel, and First, Second Kings, which originally were four books together, mm-hmm. and then First and Second Chronicles. And there's this parallel uh, passage recording the same exact event in Second in Second Samuel 24 and First Chronicles 21, and it's it's about David taking a census of Israel. Yes, yes. And and it says here, this is this is the Second Samuel account, okay, in one verse, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he the Lord, okay, incited David against them, saying, go number Israel and Judah. Same exact account, First Chronicles 21. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Mm-hmm. That's about as stark of a contrast as you can Which get. Which is it? Did the Lord stand, you know, was his anger kindled against Israel, and did he incite David to do it, or did Satan incite we David? We see the same thing in Exodus regarding Pharaoh. Yeah. Right? It says... Within the same chapter, on one sentence, one verse, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and like literally five verses later, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. (laughs) Which was it? 
Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. It was. Yes is the answer. <laughs> well, and this is why theology is so important. We, you know, this, something like what we just read and just talked about is what um, those who tend toward liberal scholarship would would say is evidence that the Bible is not inerrant or infallible because it's contradicting itself on the face of it. And a biblical theologian would say. Uh, hold on for a second. Uh, you can't ignore what all of scripture says about itself, which is that everything you just said isn't possible. So what's going on here? We have to harmonize this right. and make sense of it in light of the whole biblical revelation. Maybe there's a b- bigger perspective Yeah. in this matter. Maybe uh, Satan actually did God's deed. Exactly. Of his own free will. Yes. Under because God's... he hates God and he hates uh-huh. God's people. Why did Satan do what he did to Job? Did he do it outside of the sovereignty of God? No. With he the came explicit to God permission. And, yes. And God granted it. Satan is not a free agent any more than we are. You know, and people... Which is a great comfort, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to our struggles, Satan is not a free agent, free will, and do what he wants to do with your life or your children's lives. The Lord's not playing catch-up going, oh, look what Satan did oh, today. Oh, man, I got to counter it. I got I to gotta go deep. You know, and a, 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 a flag route. You know, it's like no, <laughs> Satan is is under God in every single department. Yeah, and what's interesting he about this God's example bidding. in First in Second Samuel and First Chronicles is that so we know that Satan's doing this against Israel, working against the purposes of God, and yet God has a purpose for ordaining it, mm-hmm. and because he's upset with Israel and he's got a discipline issue with David and then David does this thing and God holds David morally responsible for it. Mm. You have the, That's so- tough. the sovereignty of God, the activity of Satan, the moral responsibility of David and God is Because Lord. David's the one who sinned. He is. It was his sin. Yeah. That's, that's one of those rare instances where we see massive convergence of different spiritual things going on. Mm-hmm. All of which we can hold without contradiction, right? And yet there's a tension. Well, that's why you said th- theology is important. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to understand, well, at least have an awareness of the workings of God in the plan of salvation in human history. He accomplishes things. It says in other places that he used the Assyrians to punish the Jews for their idolatry, the, 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 the Jews in Judea uh, for their idolatry, but then used the Assyrians to punish the, I mean, the, the, the Persians to punish the Assyrians for what they did to the Jews. <laughs> it's like, how can that be? Right. <laughs> well, because they did it of their own free will. They wanted to hurt the Israelites, the Assyrians did. And God didn't have to motivate the Persians to want to hurt the Assyrians. They wanted to. They anyway. wanted to. <laughs> and it's like our sin. Yeah. You know, we want to sin when we sin. No one's forcing our hand. God God may just have multiple divine purposes at play in any given situation. Yeah, that guaranteed. He, that he's not obligated to tell us about, that we can freely confess we don't understand and are not easy to bear. Right. And yet we can say with Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. I really like Deuteronomy 29, 29 when it comes to these things. That's the pastor's back pocket verse it every really single is. time. It really like, is. Whatever verse you keep in your pocket, keep that one. <laughs> keep that like, one. Jesus loves you. <laughs> <laughs> and? And the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed are for us and our children. And that's the, that's the point that I like is that second half of that verse. Yeah. The things that are revealed belong to us and our children. Yes. There are, not everything is revealed. Right. And that's a comfort actually to me. Yes. 
I don't have to know everything. In fact, I prefer not knowing everything because there are some things that are just beyond my ability to comprehend and to make sense of. Right. And so God keeps that from us, thankfully. Yes, that is a good thing. (laughs) You know, if you had the option to know how your life will end, would you want to? No. Of course not. No. That would be torture. Just to, I mean, boy. I'm going to get hit by a Mack truck next Tuesday. (laughs) I ate a Mack truck twice in high school. They don't do it anymore, but it's an In-N-Out burger where you, it's 10 meat patties and 10 cheeses in one burger. It's called a Mack truck. It's not on the menu, but you have to special order it and they won't do it anymore. For good reason. My grandpa, who's in his 80s, still talks about the time he took me to In-N-Out Burger and I did that. He said it was one of the most disturbing things he's ever seen <laughs> in his life. Well, they probably so, got threatened with lawsuits. I almost <laughs> got hit by a Mack truck. <laughs> so, you know, kind of just wrapping this up here in the next few minutes, I think a couple of things are maybe important for us to consider. Um, one is that, you know, people wonder if, if, if Satan was defeated at the cross. And, you know, in the Colossians 2 teaches this, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame. Including Satan. Including Satan. Then why is he still out and about doing bad things? Because the fullness of time happened with when Christ came, but the, the conclusion of the matter isn't until his second coming. Right. And between the fullness of time when Christ came and the conclusion of the matter, the second coming of Christ, Satan is allowed by God access to the human race yes and his purposes are to thwart the work of god which he knows he can't do but he's going to make as much dust as possible in the lives of god's people stir it up as much as he can make it as hard on you as possible try to get you to sin try to get you to walk away try to get you to you know fight with your wife or to disrupt your small group satan is involved because his (laughs) here's the that other part of the strange conversion of of activity because the solution to satan's uh measure brings glory to god he he not he not only defeated satan at calvary he affirms that victory in every life of every believer every day he does he's reminding satan I nailed you, and you know it. Right. (laughs) Every single day. And a day is coming. (laughs) Yes, when it will all come to an end. Right. Yeah. You know, and we know, and we're about to get into eschatology over the next few weeks on this podcast, but there there is a decisive point in time. There will be a fever pitch of satanic activity specifically focused against the people of Israel whom God will convert. We believe that. Um, with good reason, and because it says so in Romans, because it says so in Romans, it says so in <laughs> Revelation. It says, but then there's this time when Christ returns, where Satan will be bound for a thousand years, right? And we're not, we don't, we're not confessional uh, millennials who believe that that thousand years is now. No, we believe that Satan is alive and active. He's out wreaking havoc. He's not. He's not chained. He's not bound. Yeah, even though the decisive victory has been won, right? He's on the way out. Yeah. But the Lord, his timing is what it is. But we need to be on guard. It says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, Paul's talking about these, these false teachers, or maybe it's verse 7. Um, these false teachers who sound good, but they're actually on Satan's side, wreaking yeah. havoc in the church. Right. And, and what does the Lord say about Satan and how he presents himself? An angel of light. And, and what, is that, what does that mean? And why should we it, it, be aware it of it? It good. It sounds good, but it's harmful to your soul. That's is, this is why Paul constantly warns his readers in almost every one of his letters 
about false teaching because it sounds good, but it can shipwreck your faith. It, it can it can destroy your 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 uh, your joy. It can, you know, if it were possible, rem- you know, lose your salvation, which it isn't possible for those who are truly redeemed. But Satan is out to make Christ look bad as as many ways as possible. So that's that's why that it's such a focus in the New Testament. Yeah, I, I I think Satan's strategy with the church is is not to come in through the front door guns blazing with heresy. It's to sow in heresy and false doctrines with a generous amount of truth. Because Satan realizes a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right. And so what we believe matters. James refers to false doctrines as the doctrines, the doctrine of demons. I think it's in James. So demons have doctrines. Right. Right. And it's it's those heresies. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot of false teaching going on right now. Yes. Uh, inside and outside of the church by supposed you know biblical teachers. Which and I think one of the most concerning friends. You know we're reading as a pastoral staff right now. Yeah. Um, Fault lines mm-hmm. by Vody Bakum. Mm-hmm. But what we're seeing with you know over the last year is the really the flowering of the seeds of the social justice movement, not biblical justice, but the social justice movement in the church taking biblical sounding words and putting it together with demonic ideas right. that actually undercut the gospel. Yes. In in frightening ways. So much so that that faithful ministers and faithful churches are falling by the wayside by the thousands. And that to me is the most alarming part of this whole thing. Yes. People we we know, trust and love and have promoted. Yes. To others. Yeah, and it's and these are dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, mm-hmm. but we have to be on guard. We have to constantly be searching the scriptures mm-hmm. and checking our biases, even with our good motives, because it is so easy. Satan presents himself as an angel of light, but our warfare is not to go around casting out demons. No. And, and another topic for another day, I don't think we have time to get into it, but we do not believe that Christians can be inhabited by demons, no. if that's what we mean by demon possession, or controlled by demons. They can be influenced. Influenced, yes. But not inhabited. Because the Holy Spirit... There's room for one. ...indwells, the, he, <laughs> and he doesn't share. Right, that's right, he does not. <laughs> so yeah. what, uh, what's a closing encouragement you give to our people regarding how we can walk more strongly in our faith as a result of having looked at the doctrines of angels and demons? Uh, God cares for us. He cares about the details of our lives. Um, he, he has created beings specifically designed to bring him glory and to bring us joy. And these, these beings are called angels. And their activity is not you know, clear many times, not on the surface for us to, to grasp easily. But they are part of God's created, created order. Um, they are part of the history of salvation. Uh, and God has actually put them into the church, into the life of the church, for the benefit of the church. That is that is a rich encouragement. Yeah, that means that God's His cosmic power, not only just directly from Him, but through the created spiritual beings, yeah, is at work for us. And it says one day we will to even accomplish His purposes, even judge angels, yeah. which is mind-boggling. Whatever that means, right? Um, 
but you mentioned earlier that Satan, and I, you got this from Revelation 12, but that Satan took a third of the angels with him in his fall. Right. I'm not a great mathematician. And by, I'm not even a mathematician by any stretch of the word, but I know that that means that there's twice as many angels, holy angels, as they are uh, demons. Right. So if he took a third, two-thirds are left. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Those are, that's pretty good. Good odds. <laughs> yeah. Well, church... Especially if God's our commander. Yeah. In... It's good stuff to think on, and he is. So our our salvation, friends, is so incredible that angels are longing to look into it, mm-hmm. and they are. You know, John, you mentioned this last Sunday about craning your neck to see. Yeah. You know, angels are doing the same thing as they witness what God's doing in our lives. Yeah. It's amazing, and so we have much to rejoice in, to praise the Lord about, and at church, we're grateful that you've been listening in. We will be back next week, Lord willing, to begin a look, I don't know how many weeks, but just uh, at our statement of faith on eschatology. And we'll be bringing this thing to a close. And uh, uh, not, not the podcast, but just this, this series on our statement of faith. So have a wonderful, blessed day, and we will talk to you next week.